Welcome to Trial by Wine. We take a closer look at crimes that highlight how fascinating humans can be. Schmidt, Swanee and Clarkie visit crimes and run them through their jury of three, debating both sides of the case to agree an appropriate, if totally fictitious, sentence. Please be advised, Trial by Wine may include explicit or disturbing content and will include drunken rambling. Listener discretion is advised. All right, how are we? Not too bad. How are you guys? Good, good. What's news? Truly into the real-time Christmas spirit. Uh, Mm. um, Sorry, I just got distracted because Stuart reminded me that we bought each other a wine fridge. Oh, Oh, wow. Wonderful. Yes. I'm surprised that you guys haven't had one before now. (laughs) They do. Well, we've got a big (laughs) fridge. Uh I've got a fridge. not a... One of those wine uh, at the right temperature so. and all that shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah oh, you're yeah. getting very posh. I can't, I'm, yeah. I'm surprised your wine lasts long enough to be kept in a fridge, but sure. Yeah. I'm just we can being tell facetious. you about that when we're down. And Swanee, have you got anything exciting other than four pairs of shorts? No, honestly, not really. I'm just looking over at the pile of stuff. Lots of things are still in bags that have been delivered and stuff. I'd say one of my one of the presents that I like the most is one of my sons wanted a Japanese diary. And it was very particular and it in and of itself wasn't expensive the, to get it sent was. But it's really, really light. And I said to him, oh, it's very, very light. And he said, oh, well, you know, the Japanese use a very fine paper. And I think he's probably right. So I can't <laughs> wait to open it and have a look at it because it was kind of an unusual gift for a 13-year-old. But anyway, that's what he wanted, is a it, Japanese is it diary. Is until he weighs it down with his heavy thoughts? I don't think anyone uses a diary like that anymore. It's because he's now my working child. He probably wants to put in his shifts and things. I don't know what he's going to use it for, really. They talked about it in Japanese Working at 13, isn't that illegal? Can you wait Uh, at the start of the year and wait at the end? (laughs) But he is. He he went and got himself a job. Oh, good on him. That's Raj. Oh, well, he's very much a self-starter, that Raj. Is he working in IT by any chance? No, but he's... He's working in a little supermarket, but they do lots of different things. So he has, because my mum and I just cannot believe that he's already on a cashier. And I'm like, oh, my God, you don't know how to pack a bag. And I'm like, you know, I'm more experienced at shopping than anyone. I reckon I do it every day. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm on the cashier, but sometimes I'm on the phone and sometimes I'm on here and sometimes I'm Was he on front desk? Oh. I think it's wonderful. I have such yeah, great experience. Good. But, you know, he he did it totally off his own back. So. Well, congratulations yeah. to Raj. Good Absolutely, job. Absolutely, Raj. Well done. Let's see how he goes. Mm. Well, I'm excited about a present I've got for Tony. Oh, what I don't is know it? if I mentioned this. I've got to say it quietly jet in case he's listening. Jet yes, ski. I've bought him a jet ski. Oh, the, oh wow. That's yeah, exciting. It is exciting. And that so, is an exciting present. Yeah, I've got – I'm trying to plan out how to give it to him. Obviously, I'm not going to give him a jet ski under the Christmas tree. I'm sorry. Where is it? It's at my brother's house at the okay. moment. And my brother – so we're a bit traditional Europeans. We do the big – Formal right, Christmas on Christmas Eve. Eve, Christmas Day, we all come together and that's it's a bit more casual and that's when we do the gift giving. But Tony's always like, oh, we have to give each other our presents Christmas morning. So he's getting shit in the morning, right? He's getting a decanter because he smashed one, so I bought him a replacement. And oh, what's the other thing? Oh, a, a shoe rack. I was going to say, throw some socks and undies in there to really bring it down. A shoe rack because he's got more shoes than I have. I also have bought a cover for the jet ski, just a, a cheap one because the one that the it's a secondhand jet ski. Like, before our listeners start to think I'm more salubrious than I am, it's a secondhand one. It's 22 years old, but you know, nothing wrong with that. So I got him this cover. So my plan is to give him 
the final when I were the reveal, as Carla would put it. Yes, I I've would. got the key, and I'm going to put that in a box, and that's yeah. going to be the here's your gift, and he'll be like, "What? What's this?" But for the rest of the family, I've said, "Oh, you can buy things around the jet ski." Or you can even just wrap up some spare bits of shit that the man gave me as a bit of a joke and say, here you go. And he'll be like, what's this for? He'll go, I don't know, you might need it someday. <laughs> it's like I don't even know what these things are. They're just bits and pieces. But I, for my sister, I gave her a jerry can and a bottle of um, two-stroke oil. Yeah. <laughs> said, but could you just give him to him after I've given him the gift because it'll, it'll ruin everything. <laughs> so he's so, got no idea. He hasn't asked for one or... No, it's just a well, he's been looking surprise. at them himself and I've okay. banned him. And I've said, we don't need a jet ski. I don't like jet skis. You're not, gonna, not allowed to have a jet ski. It's not going to happen, right? And then he looks at other boats and I'm like, you don't need a boat. We don't need more boats. This is ridiculous. <laughs> I'm so, <laughs> so tricksy. Oh, yes. So, yes, I'm very much looking forward to that. I think that will be a, a highlight of the this month. All right. So I suppose I should introduce us. I'm Schmitty. I'm Swanee. And I'm Clarky. And together we are Trial, Trial by Wine. And what are we drinking? <laughs> Swanee just cracked oh, it open. I did, I just talking. cracked open a little Coke Zero. Coke Zero. I don't know why that's I bothered to put it up to screen like because you guys wouldn't believe me otherwise. She's <laughs> like, oh, right, that's what she's drinking. <laughs> wouldn't, take a word, wouldn't take a word for it. <laughs> and boys, what about you? We are indulging in uh, one of Aldi's finest, a Cab Franc mm-hmm. Rosé from the Loire Valley. Nice. Oh, nice. Very nice. nice. What, what's its um, colour? Show me its colour. It's one of those typical French kind of pale orange rosés. That's nice. Looks I think pretty. that rosé I drank the other day was from Aldi. Remember I had one? I can't mm-hmm. remember. Was it? I yes, don't remember I do. Cab Franc. Oh, no, it had... Mm. It was a Sancerre or something. Anyway, I'm drinking a Grant Burge Pinot Noir Chardonnay. So there you go. I'm on the bubbles tonight. Oh. So it won't be long and I'll be slurring my words. What could go wrong? (laughs) Game. All right. So who's got a little tale for us today? I have one, Mm -hmm. but I don't know if I would call it a little tale. It's a A very complicated tale and I really hope I can do it justice because I, it has been my fear in bringing this story to trial by one, whether or not it's something that I can carry off because there's a lot of different people in it, a lot of characters, but I'll do my best. It's kind of like brace yourself and it probably wouldn't be a bad idea to have a piece of pen and paper. Okay. It is just, it is. It's just names. There's a lot of names. When when we moved into Sunbury, yeah, and um, I got I set up this little office. Someone once said to me that they imagine when they listen to us that I've got a whiteboard with you know oh. the, the red string, you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. connecting oh, yeah, yeah, all yeah, the yeah, cards yeah, yeah, yeah. together. I'm like, oh no, 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 I'm not actually an investigator, but sure. <laughs> well, to give you an idea, I I I came across this crime a couple of weeks ago, and I thought, oh, that looks really good, and I was already working on the last crime that I was doing, so I was quite happy with where I was. And I thought I'll give myself a bit of time to this. And I have watched a Netflix series, and I think it was actually an hour. And I think I've watched four hours. I did two hours last week, and then I you know, committed. And then, and then I went at the end. I was like, "What? How? I don't. I don't think that's helped me a great deal at all." It was still. I'm still really kind of struggling with pulling it all together. There was so much information, so many people involved that I just don't know. So my sources are goeerie.com, abc.com.au, Vulture, which I think is actually part of New York Magazine, Oxygen.com. Cracker. 
I don't want to say this one, <laughs> can't give it away, pizzabomber.com and the Netflix series Evil Genius. This isn't which... another strip search but in a pizza parlor, <laughs> is it? <laughs> no. No, that's nothing to do with a pizza parlor, to be, to be perfectly honest. I don't really even – that's kind of neither here nor there. It was just as the crime was originally known. So they're the sources and the first one that I gave you was called goeerie.com and Eerie is a place. Oh, Eerie is a place. Oh, it was like a Halloween in, And you will have heard of it and maybe, maybe with my accent it probably didn't so go – no, I thought it was, yeah, in go spooky. Lake Erie. Ooh. So oh, yeah, it's yeah. in Erie is a, I think it's the fifth large, well, I know it is because I looked it up, the fifth largest city in Pennsylvania. Mm. So if you imagine you're on the east coast of the US and you're sort of New York, New Jersey, those sort of states, if you were to sort of head inland and slightly up, Erie is on Lake Erie, which is one of the lakes that then starts going to, you know, northwestern US and then into Canada kind of thing. So you're up sort of pretty cold, I don't know if you call it the Midwest. I'm not sure if you do because I don't think it's far enough across. But you probably have heard of Lake Erie or Lake Erie or Erie before. And that's where this story is set. And we need to go back 20 years. And the funny thing was in, you know, covering, looking at different sources and whatever else, it was only this morning that I looked at it and I thought, oh, right. And I read somewhere that it was 20 years ago. Because you know how sometimes you don't make the connection with dates? I'd obviously been reading it. It happened in 2003. But then I hadn't realised it was a full, you know, it's 2023. And I was like, oh, there you go. Sometimes you forget how old we are and how much time has passed. But this story um, starts in August 2003. Absolutely. I'm going to try and sort of talk you through the initial, the thing that set a whole chain of events into action. So on August 28, 2003, a pizza delivery guy called Brian Wells took one last delivery on his route in Erie, Pennsylvania, before finishing his shift. A last-minute call had come in from an address with quite an obscure address. It was a transmission tower. So it was a site that was down a dirt road on the outskirts of Erie, and a gentleman called Brian Wells, who was the pizza delivery guy, who was 46 at the time, left the shop to deliver two pizzas to a transmission tower. The next time that Brian was seen was the same afternoon when he walked into Erie's PNC Bank, where he passed a teller a note demanding $250,000. He's got a very unusual walking stick and he has a huge protrusion out the front of his shirt and across his T-shirt says the word guess and it's sort of been spray painted across it. He goes in there and he demands the $250.00. And he tells them that he has got underneath the T-shirt. That's what the protrusion is. $1,000, yes. So when he walked in, the people actually thought, and this would make sense to me, they thought it was perhaps like a neck apparatus. You know when you see people who've had a neck injury or something, you know, sometimes you see people with like a breastplate nearly and you think, oh, that's awesome. They've been in an accident or going through some kind of surgery. Well, that's collar bombs. He had a collar bomb. Oh, it was a collar bump, right. It was. But that's what the people didn't realise that when he first walked in. Oh. I was thinking about traction, you know, when you're in traction. Yes. That's exactly the kind of thing. So when he first, no one was freaking out going, oh, my gosh, what's happening here? A couple of people said that they thought their first impression was, oh, that man seems very, he seemed very calm by all accounts. He wasn't, you know, panicking or whatever. He just walked in, he had a crazy T-shirt on, but they figured that that was a, a part of a, you know, a medical kind of situation for someone's neck or you know, spine, I guess. Spine or something, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, can ex- I knew exactly what they meant when I'd read that. 
I'm worried as to why I know what a collar bomb is now because unlike Schmitty, it's not normal <laughs> for me to know stuff like I this. I don't know that so she... if it wasn't here. Well, you know, is it, it's been in is the movie. it though because you do a do lot of research now. Yeah, maybe you're catching up with me. That's all. <laughs> maybe. Mm. Anyway. So Brian's in there trying to get a quarter of a million bucks. Unfortunately for him, he only made off with 9000 because that's all the teller could give him. So I that's think that's disappointing, isn't it? Um, so he gets the money and he leaves oh, it's it. It's better bank. than a slap in the face with a wet it fish. Is, was he worried that his bomb was going to blow if he only had 9000 He may be. well have been. So as he leaves the, oh the bank, God. immediately oh God. a number of customers start calling 911. And to be honest, he only makes it a couple of hundred yards out the front before a state trooper pulls up. Oh, I thought you were going to say before he sets the bomb off and accidentally throws <gasps> himself to smithereens. Now oh. this entire bit, bit, mm. bit, it is filmed. So okay. there's different, I presume, news crews and that are, are turning up and you see... Mm. Brian Wells. It, so it, him leaving and getting picked up by the Well, trooper. no, not not leaving. I haven't seen him leave the bank, but I've definitely seen once he's been, like there are state trooper cars around him and right. he's, been, he's placed on the on ground. On the ground, yeah. Yeah, and they are trying to work out what's happening here. Do you know what a collar bomb is? Can you explain that for people who don't know? Yeah, I'll get to that because I haven't told you about the collar bomb. You've oh, told okay. us about the collar bomb. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. At the moment, he's just a guy who's <laughs> sat on the ground. No one knows what's going on. Sorry. Yeah, right. I'll, I'll zip it. No, it's obviously oh, pretty important. Hold your horses. We'll get yeah. to it. <laughs> so when those initial calls start to come to the police, they get, you know, there's been a robbery. So they didn't know he had a bob on him? When he was in there? He's told them, but initially did, people yeah. weren't freaking out. Right. So right, he's right. walked in calmly. He's gone and said, oh, here's my ransom. You know, not my ransom, my demand Give note. me cash. So I've got a bomb on I get it nine, you know, he gets away $9,000. He walks out and from that point uh, another chain event starts. Okay. So he is then, you know, pretty much the, the state troopers are on to him within a you know, couple of hundred metres of the bank and then the next part of sort of the, the story plays out. He was handcuffed and he was left on the pavement because mm. they didn't know if it was something he'd done, right, as a, you know, I've put this well, on. Someone I, I, I've, got, I've got a bomb. And he says to them, you know, I've, I, they, I've, got, a, I've got a bomb on me. I, you know, I've been set up. I've been set up. Oh, and okay. their situation is, look, we've seen this a lot of times and quite often it's false. You know, it's a hoax. It's not a bomb that's really going off. So they're trying to get the right people to come to the site to work out whether or not it's a legitimate bomb and then work that out. So Brian Wells is the gentleman who's on the ground, the, our pizza delivery guy, and he's desperately bargaining with the police and telling them that he does have a bomb around it, that he knows and that he's been set up and that he knows that people jumped in when he went to get gave them the pizza delivery and they're the people who have set him on this, you know, path of going to the bank, to, the bank. to make this yep. robbery. Mm. Yeah. So to give you an idea, so as I was explaining, from the outset, it looked like he would potentially had some kind of apparatus for his neck. But what he actually had on was what is known as a collar bomb. But to give our um, listeners an idea, it's like a large sort of handcuff, but totally around your neck. Imagine it Jesus, clicking into place. It's awful. Yeah. So it was it was large mm. and it was heavy and it was sat on his chest. But again, so it's around your neck and it sat on your chest and it was beeping. Oh. That freaks me out a little bit. So while the troopers kept their distance from Wells, waiting for the bomb squad to arrive and confirm the bomb story, 
the device around Well's neck suddenly stops beeping. And he is freaking out. So you can see all of this from different sort of angles where their camera crews, you know, across the road, they're in a service station, you're like trying to get this view. And you can oh see this no. poor, uh, handcuffed sitting on the ground screaming, going, it's something's it's going to go, it's going to go off. That would be so oh. scary. So mere seconds later, it's it exploded. Awful. Oh, God. It, it exploded, leaving a five-inch gash in his chest and he was killed. Oh, God. The whole ordeal was captured on TV and it was actually going live, but something happened with a technical difficulty and fortunately that very Mm. moment Mm. didn't actually go out live. But, of course, they were able to use the footage. So Mm. I've seen the footage of it, you know, from a distance happening where they sort of blur it out and then you can see his body afterwards. But I don't think that anyone was necessarily expecting that that was, A, going to happen or certainly go down in the the time that it did. It was all relatively Mm. quick. And at the same time, I've seen, you know, the bomb squad interviewed and they'd been stuck in because all the traffic had stopped because, you know, they had a crime scene. So they're a couple of blocks away. It was like on a busy highway. So they're trying to get to the scene. You know, it it, it all just fucked up really, didn't it? It It all happened so quickly. So there you go with... All for nine. It just 000. makes me feel sick. <laughs> Does it's quite shocking. If you saw the panic in this man, it was really oh. not good. That is the start of <laughs> our. Does it get um, better? <laughs> it's not that it gets better. It's not that it gets worse. It just gets. It oh. just is a lot, right? So this is a starting point. No, no, no. The starting well, point start is a collar bomb. Now, <laughs> yeah. God. I mean, I'm going to sentence whoever invented the collar bomb first. There's an FBI um, detective who ends up sort of heading up the, the case and he says that when he first got the call, he says, you know, I get a call and they say, hey, we've got a new bank robbery at 7,000, well, they won't say 7200, 7, I don't know how you say a number in America, you know how they call it, what do they say? They won't say 7,200. 7,200. Peach Street. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there is a potential bomb utilised during the robbery. And he said, you know, all right, we've done those before many times and you arrive on the scene, they're a hoax device. But for whatever reason, this one felt different almost immediately. Mm, And they said, as he predicted, this was not going to be any ordinary bank robbery. In Brian um, Brian Wells' car, they discover handwritten notes with elaborate instructions. And again, it comes back to that stuff that we see time and time again in Trial by One where I can't write a page of notes, let alone this is beautifully sort of like annotated, you know, streams and streams and streams of you know heavy copy really intricate writing beautifully lined up like all of this stuff that is just so particular that you think wow that's come from an interesting mind shall we say (laughs) a beautiful in brian's car the police discovered handwritten notes with elaborate instructions one reading there is only one way you can survive and that is to cooperate completely this powerful booby-trapped bomb can be removed only by following our instructions. Act now, think later, or you will die. The notes, of which there are several, the notes lead Brian on a bizarre scavenger hunt, giving him time extensions on the bomb exploding for each step completed. So it seemed like Brian had really wow. been jumped because he said, look, someone's jumped me and they're there. And he actually said sick. four black men had jumped on him and done it. That's what he, he did tell them that. So it seemed like Brian had really been jumped but the police obviously had to get to the bottom of it. And this is the tale of trying to get to the bottom of how Brian Wells at the PNC Bank became known as the pizza bomber case. 
It was also known as the collar bomb case, depending on which way you looked at it, but you can see either way. Brian had been able to give the police little detail aside from the from his name and his place of work and the accusation. Just have a lot of time. No, and the accusation that someone had set him up. So the police went straight to Mamma Mia's um can you believe it's called that? Of course it's called that. Pizzeria, where he'd worked for like a decade. <laughs> his co-workers were like absolutely stunned and they sincerely doubted that Brian would have had been able to make a bomb himself. They just didn't see it. And then I've seen interviews with people that knew him and where he lived. And it wasn't, he didn't live in a, it wasn't a trailer park, but it was some of very small demountable homes, you know, very yeah. basic. You know, he was a pizza delivery guy. He had a, a number of some of the friends who were older ladies who lived, you know, who his neighbours, who he helped with groceries and stuff. He was a, a pretty nice no, okay, guy. guy. Okay. Yeah. yeah, just it didn't deserve know, that in. No, God. no, not at all. Not. Oh, not, could you imagine um, how terrified he was? Oh, not a career criminal. Awful. Not a you know, not someone who was on the make. It was something like that. He, he went to his job. He did what he had to do. Just a you know, and well, I say a nice guy. I don't know if he's a nice guy, but that's the way he's portrayed. And just someone who just you know, kind of had a pretty simple life. Certainly a person who didn't deserve to be blown up with a collar bomb. No. Who so the police were able to trace the call does, for the two, pepperoni, yeah. <laughs> the two pepperoni pizzas to the um, transmission tower site. And when they got there, they were able to find Brian's shoe impressions and tyre marks there, but then the trail went cold. So they turned their attention to the bomb instead. The bomb was not that of an amateur. It was very well designed and it was also... It had tricks like booby traps and not actually not booby traps, but just elements that were not necessarily required. So there were wires that sort of meant nothing or did nothing. It was definitely made by someone who had an idea of the kind of thing they were creating. They found the bomb was uh, indeed initiated before Brian had walked into the bank and it had an inbuilt timer as well as a booby trap that would trigger it if anyone attempted to remove it. Unfortunately, there was no DNA or fingerprint evidence on the bomb that could link it to its maker. The FBI thought one possible scenario was that the maker might have been, you know, a teacher in electronics or did shop, you know, like, well, you know what you call that? Um, yeah. I call it metalworks, like but in, at school, yeah, yeah. And that they would possibly have a workshop at their house. One of the things in the documentary that I saw is you see Brian Wells' family and just they had the hardest time because, remember, all of that has been shown to the world numerous times, every time it's on the news. So it's all there. They see what they would call the murder of their son, brother, cousin, whatever. Oh, horrendous. But where it really gets very, very difficult for them is the way they got the collar bomb off was they had to decapitate Brian to take the the collar. No. And oh. as, his par- as his family said, oh. you have put Goodness. greater value on the bomb after it's gone off than an owl, oh, owl Brian. Yes. And that and it's funny because when I when they first start referring to that, when you first start hearing about that in the documentary, it was it was full on. And I you know, it was something that they weren't saying. So I don't know if it was the bomb expert. I think it might have been someone from the FBI. There were so many people that they spoke to. And he said, Oh, you know, and he went very quiet and he said, Oh, you know, and we we had to remove the we had to remove the collar. And I thought, oh, it was just something about the way he didn't but, look at the screen. But why you know, couldn't screen. they just cut it off? They couldn't. Like not the head, they need, I, think the they, I, don't, I think they needed it together as, as evidence. And then it's not until, you know, a couple of episodes later when they really start to talk to the family that they're in a, a press conference and he's like, you know, there was so little thought given to our, our, our Brian, I think it was actually his brother who was speaking, you know, my brother that, you know, he was, he, they chopped his head off. I'm like, oh! 
my God, no wonder the guy didn't look at the camera when he was talking about the way they got oh. hold of the, the. Oh, it was awful. I, don't, I think they. Oh, I know actually. They. I think it was like nineteen hours after. So he'd been held while they were trying oh, to work out what God. they were going to do. So they couldn't get access to the body. It was just a nightmare for this poor family. That is awful. Now I need you to hold that thought because there's no other way that I can go forward without going to the side. This is the complexity of this crime. I need to introduce you to someone. I need to introduce you to Marjorie Deal Armstrong. She was born and has lived in Erie her entire life. She was an only child of two parents who ran a successful awning business. business. But what's interesting about Marjorie is that she was considered a child prodigy. She was incredibly bright. She was brilliant at music and she graduated top of her class and she had a high IQ and had got a master's degree. And she was also very attractive. So when she was a little girl and then certainly a teenager and into a young woman, she was, you know, she was the full package. She was bright and beautiful, like amongst the brightest and, you know, a very attractive girl and a little bit different. Not, you know, I wouldn't say that she wasn't necessarily popular, but she had friends and she was certainly friends with the the girls that she did music with. So people that were sort of, you know, probably the other bright girls and the other girls who were doing music. So, you know, she had her, her strengths. And she just looked like a pretty well-put-together girl who was an only child and from quite a comfortable family. So life was pretty good. While she was uh, in high school, she had a sweetheart and that gentleman's name was Bill Rothstein. And Bill also happened to be very, very bright and he was considered a genius as well. And he was also in Mensa. And at one point, these pair got engaged in their early 20s, but it, it didn't really last. And Marjorie broke off that engagement. But it, it did sort of herald sort of an on-off sort of relationship for the rest of their lives where they they definitely had a like a, a big love affair, a big attraction. So that, you know, friends would say that when they were together, they were totally in love or they were, you know, at each other. You know, it was that kind of relationship where it was sort of like all or nothing. And then to be in their company was either a delight when they were the best couple in the room or they were at each other and just being awful to one another. The fact that they were both so brilliant and bright worked both for them in the sense that they had great interests and a lot of things in common, but it also meant that when they were at each other, they could be very nasty and very, you know, one-upmanship. You know, they they thought they were more brilliant, more bright than the other. After Marjorie broke off her engagement with Bill, she really started to struggle with her mental health and it was in her 20s that she was actually diagnosed with being bipolar Mm -hmm. and It wasn't something that she ever tried to hide. She was very open about it and she would say that it was both, you know, a blessing and a curse and she would see it as something that put her in pretty high company. Like she would always be quoting people, you know, Van Gogh or who are other people who are bipolar? I've forgotten who they were. There was, anyway, I'll come to that later. I'll find their names. Loads of people. Yeah, Yeah. but everybody, you know, a couple of ex-presidents. Oh, there you go. No, but she always thought that she was in a different class and that was because it was kind of one of the things that sort of made her not necessarily comfortable, but she saw it as being something that people who were usually rather brilliant might actually have. So it wasn't something that she was necessarily trying to keep quiet. So after breaking up with Bill, she ended up in a relationship with a a man called Robert Thomas, Uh, but she murdered Robert Thomas in his sleep. What? Yeah. Yeah. Where did that come from? She shot him six times. Oh. It's not even a big deal, really. It's just something that happened (laughs) on the way. Just in passing, yeah. Yeah. I reckon Robert would say it's a big deal. 
six exactly. times. In 1984, he she ran shot- into my life. He ran into my life ten times. Yeah. She, 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 so she, she said that she had um, killed him in self-defense. She was acquitted of the crime because it was believed he was violent and abusive towards her. And I did read somewhere that he had mental health issues as well. And again, it might be entirely possible that he was abusive, abusive towards yeah. her. And you know, she went to court in Erie and she was acquitted and that was sort of, you know, he, she was, you know, so there's all this footage of her back in, you know, 1984 coming out of court. And, again, looking attractive, very much the time, into the pussycat bow, you know, those blouses, you know, very just, you know, pretty well put together. You wouldn't look at her and think, oh, gosh, that woman's, I wouldn't think anything really. You'd just be like, oh, maybe that really did happen and she was, you know, saving herself. So that was sort of just something, just clock that up as a crime. In 1990, she married her next serious boyfriend. His name was was <laughs> Richard Armstrong, and she did say that he was her one true love. However, after only two years, in 1992, Marjorie was rushing Richard to a hospital with a serious head injury. Ooh. Richard died of an internal brain hemorrhage. Oh, no. Marjorie said he'd fallen, and the coroner corroborated saying that the death was accidental, so there was no further investigation. Well, she'd, he'd fallen after she smacked him over the head with something. Well, no one knows it. I think he hit a coffee table. Yes, after she hit yeah. him or pushed him into it, yeah. But what's interesting here is that Marjorie was apparently devastated by the death and despite settling for $250,000 with the hospital in a medical malpractice case, which I think is kind of what, so she got money there. Right. How's the medical malpractice? I don't understand how that came about, and there's not a lot of information. But they do mention the fact that she they had that money. They killed him after well, she'd smacked him in the head. Yes. So I, I mean, don't know. Sorry, what happened. he fell yeah. and hit his head. Yeah. I can't find any information about what happened at the hospital, but I think what we need to take from that is just that, that she made not that she made money of it because I can't say that something you know, went the wrong. Said, but again, well, she he, had a that's, case. That's the second one. You do realize that she had less, and now she's getting. What a, it's just a little bit, you know, Sweet. it's a little bit, sits a little bit yeah. uncomfortably with me. After his death, her So which one was health, that, sorry? So that is it, Richard Armstrong. Okay. You don't need to remember him, though. We can actually oh. just leave him there. Okay, <laughs> other people do, it's, this is what's confusing about this, right? Richard Armstrong, this is just okay. where we're at. Another one in passing. Well, kind of, a little bit like oh that, yes. God. All right. Her mental health does start to take a nosedive after this and she really starts to struggle and it's at that point in way she sort of starts to be deemed as disabled due to her psychological condition. So okay. she starts to receive disability payments from Social Security. She's got the, the hospital payout. Her father's also helping her and he also has bought her a house. So she's okay financially you know Mm -hmm. she's being sort of looked after you know by the the government and her her father and she's got a house her next boyfriend is james roden james is an unemployed alcoholic what period of time is this is she still young and pretty getting less so (laughs) so i like the way she went this (laughs) is so 92 (laughs) 92 is when richard passed so sometime in the 90, late 90s, I think this would be. And okay. also, interestingly, I think throughout this entire time, there are times when she is with Bill Rothstein again. Still on and off, not as much That's as they were. The first that was the boyfriend from Scott, competed. the one, the pair of them who were like the very similar. Boyfriend. They were yeah, very okay. similar. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So he's sort of around. He's in, a, he's in and out of the scene. 
yeah, so there's there's a relationship of sorts at different times for them. But at this point, she is living with James Rogan, I believe. Hang on, Swanee, can you um, hang on for a second? Oh, here I'm just we go. Go and get my go, go, other yeah. whiteboard because yeah. I'm running out of space on the first one. <laughs> you shouldn't even touch. We haven't even got to some data. Wait till we get to that. You'll be you'll be like going, "This is insane." I am so sorry. I hope I couldn't do it justice. Let me just quickly order one online for urgent delivery. A big one. <laughs> I think that she had quite a nice relationship with James. They lived together for nine years. So that would, yeah, that would bring us mm. up to about early 2000, yeah. And she would only leave the house sort of once a week just to do garbage. She would scour the neighbourhood looking for things on the side of the road to add to her collection because what do you think was happening inside Marjorie's home? Hoarder. building a bar. Like absolute textbook No, she's a hoarder. hoarder. She's a hoarder. Oh, so God. she only goes out on bin nights to get go through ravage, oh, rubbaging through everybody else's no. stuff to see what she can acquire. Look, I've been known to pick up the odd goodie out of hard rubbish, but, you know. Oh, look, I've seen lots of good journals. I mean, you've been, <laughs> and not every night no. for 10 years or whatever else on bin night. No. Oh, my goodness. So things are pretty quiet, really, for, for Marjorie during that period. I think she was busy accumulating. But then in August of 2003, peace would be disturbed when Marjorie's neighbour heard gunshots coming from the house. <gasps> no. Again. Six gunshots. How is this all connected? Nope. Three weeks after the robbery at the PNC Bank in Erie in 2003, on September 21st, the police received a phone call. A man's voice told them, I have a dead body in my freezer. What? What? The caller was Marjorie Deal Armstrong's former fiance, Bill Rothstein. Hey. Bill went to the police station for questioning and explained how he and Marjorie had been friends for years and that she would often call him for help, which is how he ended up with a dead body in his freezer. (laughs) Now, this is is important. Bill said, Bill said that six weeks earlier, so remember this is four weeks after the, the robbery, so this would take us before the robbery. Okay. Yeah. Bill said that six weeks earlier, Marjorie had called him in a panic, saying she'd shot and killed her boyfriend, James Brown, <gasps> no. after an argument, and she'd allegedly shot him with a 12-gauge shotgun. <gasps> Goodness oh, no. me. Bill said he went to Marjorie's, wrapped the body in tarps and dragged it to his van before taking it home and putting it in his freezer. He also helped Marjorie get rid of the gun, sawing it into pieces and melting it down with a torch. The police went straight to Bill's house and found Marjorie there. I've seen footage of this and she's screaming at them. Like a crazy woman. She's sitting on the end of a bed. When the investigators told her who they were, she went berserk, screaming to get out of the house. Officers had to restrain her. And sure enough, they found James's body in the freezer as described. Oh, it was revolting. Like he was literally in a sort of a fetal sort of position and they had uh. it like it was all wrapped up. And it was it was a big, you know, chest freezer. So it took a number of days for his body to thaw out before they could actually do sort of, I guess, an autopsy of him. Oh. Good God. So Marjorie was arrested for the shooting. Where it gets a little bit more interesting is whilst recovering James's body, investigators realised, yeah, (laughs) Bill's house, Bill Rothstein's house, was less than 500 yards from where Brian Walls 
Wells, sorry, Brian Wells, had made that last delivery right under that transmission tower. Oh, what? That's interesting. Absolutely. So they're like, "Mm, could there perhaps be a connection here? Oh, unlikely. That night, Mark, no, I'm very lucky again. That night, Marjorie refused to talk with investigators. Sounds like too much paperwork. (laughs) But Bill, Bill was very chatty. Chatty? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh He told investigators he was, quote, unquote, the smartest guy in the room. And he reeled off his impressive educational uh, resume, including his degree in electrical engineering, and that he was a substitute science teacher with the Erie School System, specialising in robotics. He's not that clever if he's telling him. By bragging, Bill willingly admitted to police the fit for the exact profile of their bomb maker that they were looking for. Well, you you said he was competitive and they were similar. So, they would. I mean, they. I would. I would suspect he might have had a bit of a mental health issue as well. Because yeah. there's again, this is all. This is all filmed, and he. He's you know posture. He's a big guy. He wears like um, I, I would you call them overalls? I guess so. Like denim overalls. Like oh big, yeah. Big guy, big big, and he's like postures all like this. And when he was showing them around, like saying, "Well, you know, this is where I picked up the body." What else? It was like he was a tour guide. He was so confident, and you know, well, you know, she's done this, and I, you know, I'm going to tell you everything because I. You know, I'm helping you out, right? But there was something that's quite confusing and I it was covered in the documentary and he had done like a suicide note but he hadn't actually committed suicide. So they found this suicide note ready to go and one of the points said nothing to do with Brian Wells. <laughs> I'm not sure that many people, would, many people would put that down. But anyway, that was kind of something that was seen and, and, and parked that as an idea. But, you know, you know for someone who's so bright, yeah. he, he can't help but be the smartest person in the room. You know, when people come undone mm-hmm. when they... And to be honest, Marjorie does a lot of that herself. You know, they're probably so well suited. It was unbelievable. So Marjorie is held for the killing of James Roden, but things take a bit of a turn because Marjorie's found mentally incompetent to stand trial in court in 2004. It meant that anything she said might not be able to use in court. So she's now in a state mental hospital uh, and Marjorie's testimony against Bill would be useless. Shortly after... Bill is diagnosed with terminal cancer and on his deathbed in in July 2004, so a year after the robbery or close to a year after, he passed away but didn't give away anything so that there was nothing useful Mm. said. By the end of 2004, Marjorie was determined as, again, knowing the difference between right and wrong and therefore was declared competent and able to stand trial. But she didn't. Instead, on January 7th, 2005, she pled guilty to the murder of James Roden and was sentenced to 7 to 20 years in prison. Investigators interviewed her in July 2005 and Marjorie hinted that James's death and the robbery slash bombing were connected, saying, if I tell you how Roden and Wells are related, that immediately puts me into the Wells case and I'm not going to do that. But Marjorie did give up one detail, a name, and that name is Ken Barnes. So we've got another character to add to our. So who's Ken Barnes? <laughs> who's okay. Ken? Who is Ken Barnes? I mean, get say Ken Barlow. Boys. I'm like we're in. So who we've got right now? We've got Brian Wells, Marjorie yep. Deal Armstrong, Bill Rothstein, James Roden is dead in Richard the freezer. Richard dead. Yeah, Rich, oh, yeah, we don't need to dead. remember those. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. I'd like to remember Richard Armstrong. I feel That's it's very harsh nice. that we don't. Richard Armstrong him. and I oh, forgot her nice. first husband's name. Peter. Yeah. There's oh, just yeah, so many too. names, uh, so confusing. Robert Thomas. But now we've got Big Kenny. Yes, thank you. Well done. This we've got another Big, Big Kenny. Kenny is. 
Big this is this week's big this big this week's big Kenny is played by Ken Barnes. <laughs> and Ken Barnes is a misfit friend of Marjorie's. Uh, always Again, a surely they're all misfits. He's a little bit of a misfit. So unlike Uber Bright, uh, Marjorie and Bill, Ken's a little bit more sort of an Street odd guy, wise. a retired television repairman. Uh, how do I say this? A crack dealer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so a little bit different. Yeah, I think I know so what you mean his, now. His profile's slightly different. He's really sort of living on the fringes of society a little bit, and I think he his life sort of comes in and out of focus a little bit. He's, to be honest, when he's interviewed, no offence, Ken, but he's a bit of a dead shoot. Do you know what I mean? He doesn't come across as the other pair are mad and, you know, full of themselves and manic, whereas he's just mm. a bit more, you know, like, you know, I'll take advantage of whatever comes my way. Right, okay. If I can make some good, yep. So he'd met um, Marjorie apparently fishing. So I've mentioned before Erie's like on Lake Erie. So mm-hmm. she used to go fishing and they kind of became friends that way. He he was also a crack dealer and he was, you know, there was some elements of society that he probably had a lot to do with like prostitutes and, well, drugs. So he was questioned by police in August of 2005. So again, a year after the robbery. He admitted to being part of the robbery slash bomb plot. Ken told investigators that Bill built the bomb and that the robbery was Marjorie's idea. Marjorie and Bill asked Ken to help with the timing mechanisms on the bomb. The weirdest part was Marjorie's reason for wanting to rob the bank. The reason Marjorie wanted them to rob the bank was because she wanted Ken to kill her father. What? And to kill her father. Ken wanted $250,000. $50,000. Oh. Her father did have some money and she she was complicated. I know, I know. I mean, you've already killed how many boyfriends? (laughs) Just kill your dad yourself. I I do think that, right? So she was concerned that her. Sorry. Sorry, which is the husband? Which is the partner that's. Wrapped up another person's body and put Bill, it in the freezer. Thing. Bill, get yep. Bill to do it. He's the smartest man in the room. He can He's do now it. dead, but he could have done it at the time. You're right. He's now dead. And he, he, and he have, was back dying. In the, in the moment. Yes, correct. Mm-hmm. And they think that he knew that. Right. So he could he have easily have done, done this. We could have circumnavigated yeah. all of this shit, but all right. right. So Marjorie, I've mentioned this before, that Marjorie's family had a little bit of Goodness money. Me. It was, I mean, it wasn't an awful lot, but it was, you know, substantial. It was certainly something that she wanted and her concern was that she thought her dad was being too generous with other people and, you know, giving what was her money away to Uh, others. So she saw that that was, you know, there was a little bit more of a time pressure on it, shall we say, spending her inheritance. So she'd said to Ken, I need my dad killed, I'll... But he's and he said, well, whatever. I don't know how he knew what it was going, what his going rate was, but he said it would be a fee of two hundred fifty thousand dollars, and so that is where Ken says that Marjorie came up with the idea of the bank robbery plot. We'll go and rob the bank. I'll pay you. I can get Dad killed, and then I can have my money. Ken's testimony makes a lot of sense. I reckon it does. I think yes. So. Remembering that the crime was in 2003, it's not until October 12, 2010, that Marjorie stood trial for the robbery and bombing. Goodness me. The prosecution sold Marjorie as the catalyst for the entire robbery bombing, despite Bill building the bomb and her clear mental instability. Ken pled guilty to his role in the conspiracy and was sentenced to 45 years in prison. And on the stand, he testified against Marjorie. 
Ken also said that he and Marjorie had followed Brian to the bank, watching them from a vehicle parked across the street. According to Ken, Marjorie also killed James. Remember, he was the ex mm-hmm. who was found in Bill's freezer because he had threatened to tell the police about the plot, which oh. would make sense because he was that murdered. Sense, yeah, yes. they had an argument and she murdered him mm. some, I think it was like two weeks before the actual plot played out and then had him put in the freezer. On the stand, Marjorie gave a long and rambling testimony and there's so much stuff you can watch on her online and the, I guess it was one of the producers behind the um documentary he was communicating with her for years and years and she would send letters and whatever else and you know they had a you know how they often do this had a friendship where you know obviously they tell tell people things but she never she she never said that she was involved she said that the investigators set her up and the government framed her and that bill was the true mastermind the jury reached a verdict on november 1st 2010 finding marjorie guilty she was convicted with conspiracy to commit bank robbery with the utilisation of a destructive device and she was sentenced to life in prison on February 28, 2011. She earned another 30 years for using a bomb in the crime and that sentence <laughs> would begin as soon as she finished serving her time or was paroled for the killing of James Roden, Freezer um, boyfriend. In some ways, that's kind of where that part ends. So I've introduced you to Brian Wells. I've introduced you to Marjorie Deal Armstrong. I've introduced you to Bill Rothstein. I've introduced you to James Roden. I've introduced you to Ken Barnes. But there are two other people that also factored in this and oh, are also potentially considered co-conspirators. <laughs> Just, okay. Because the question mark, black? sorry, none. So that none. four so black person really thing was. Oh, okay, right. I think you know where Made that up. is. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And you said when he to... walked into that That's bank, annoying. he did not look fast. He did not look fast and he also had a walking cane that was a gun. I was going to ask you about yeah. that. Yeah. What was the fancy stick that he had? The fancy stick was a gun. Yep. Interesting. So what I need to do now is I just want to focus on, because the big question was always, was Brian Wells part of the crime? Was he mm. or oh, how much was he a part of it? And that mm. was a focus for a number of different people trying to, obviously his family trying to clear his name. There was never, and, and the way he behaved suggested that it didn't quite go down the way he thought it was going to if he was involved. The question was, what did Brian know? And it's not until much later, like 18, probably about 2017, so very late in the day, there is a prostitute who was mentioned from the very word go called Jessica Hoopsick. And Jessica was a prostitute who was also friends with Brian. So they had a a friendship, I think, that he did see her. And when they went to his house after he was um, killed, he had a a list of contacts and Jessica Hoopsig was one of them. But she was always very reticent to sort of say anything or help in any way. But, you know, time and growing up, she was very young. I think that she ended up in prison with Marjorie Deal Armstrong, you know, years down the track. They just happened to end up at the same place. And there was this, you know, sc- yes, there was this screaming situation. Chambers. <laughs> yeah. And so the documentary maker, he gets in touch with Jessica and says, you know, will you speak to me? Because she had said one other time that she would come forward and she didn't turn up. And after being in prison, she gets out and she says, I will, I will meet with you. And she comes forward and says, look, Brian was involved, but he was involved because of me. Ken Barnes, she'd been at Ken Barnes' house, the crack dealer, 
right? Yeah. So you'd go to Ken Barnes's house. That's how there was sort of that contact. That's how she would come into a loop to know Bill and Marjorie. Bill and Marjorie were after someone to wear the collar, right? So they needed someone who was a little bit malleable. And by all accounts, Brian was, you know, a pretty nice guy. So to get him involved, he didn't really know what was going on. And Jessica has said, it was kind of on me. I got drrugs as a result of bringing him to the party and getting oh him involved God. because there had been but witnesses. did she know he was going to get blown up? No, no, right. she didn't know that. Uh, I don't I don't know who knew that. So they all and thought it was like a, a hoax situation. I think and they give us some money did, and I'll do yeah, it right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, never I, expected them to blow him up, yeah. Because there was a Jesus. pre-meeting at, I think, at Bill's house on the 27th of the, the Blow up the bomb is on the 28th. Something happens on the 27th and there's a witness that sees Brian Wells there. So then Mm. they're saying, well, he was involved. And I think he was was brought in but didn't ever truly know what was going on. It's only Jessica Hoopstick coming out very late in the day, like literally a decade later or more, saying, look, that was me. I brought him in as a, you know, sort of a soft touch that would be something like his, but I didn't understand that that would what was actually going to happen I was young and I didn't want to be involved and I didn't you know that's why I didn't say anything at the time Mm. and then there was another gentleman called Jay Stockton and Jay Stockton spent a period of time as a flatmate of Bill Rothstein's and he was a little bit of a career criminal you know doing that and he was doing time when all this sort of ended up going to court and he was prepared to say look yeah I didn't I wasn't involved, but I kind of was. I was there, and yes, I was aware of it, and it was Bill, but it was totally Marjorie's idea. They kind of used that against him, but again, nothing else happened because of that. he said, you know, like I'll help you in whatever way I can. But there was when they were building this case, there were just so many different faces of all these different people. It was just one of the most bizarre crimes that they would say has ever happened. And the FBI said that that it. I mean, they worked on it for seven years, and I still don't ultimately think that they truly know who is responsible for what aspects of it because some of it's got to do with like the the personalities and the mental health of the people that are involved so the people who are just sort of like co-accomplices are like yeah yeah this is what we did and this is what happened but marjorie will not would not ever say that she was involved and when she would she was too clever she knew too much about the law to set herself up to be do you know what I mean? Like she would not, she knew anything that would sort of incriminate her as such, so she'd be able to stop herself. Yeah. She knew who yeah. she could talk to. She was very aware of what she was. And I think, I think Bill knew that he was about to die. Depart this. Shuffle yes. off. It sounds this a lot like Sante from last week who knew all about fraud law. So she could yep. say all the right things to kind of make people believe her. And I wonder if Marjorie's not thinking Absolutely. To that. I'm sure Marjorie's mm. similar to that. And people have said if they when Apart from the hoarding. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, there is that. Revolt, but really no, revolting. And she, you know, she clearly lost her looks and she just looked like an absolute mess. But she was just, they were, you know, she's just described as super manipulative. Actually, there was one description of her which I thought was really spot on. And this was from, I think, again, someone who was in the FBI. She does have mental illness. Yeah. But when you combine this woman's serious mental illness with her personality disorder, her narcissism, her paranoia, her deception, her manipulativeness, you combine that into one person with evil and this is the type of crime that results. The combination of Marjorie Deal Armstrong and her propensity towards violence in this particular in this particular case proved deadly. And it is very similar to last week's case. These women who are just 
like nothing is mm. out of bounds. You know, they've, they've a means yeah, to an yeah. end. No one's as clever as they are. They know how to do their research, and you know they they can't get away with it, right? Mm-hmm. Who has a back catalogue of dead husbands and dead boyfriends and you know, and making money out of it at the same time. It seems implausible, but yet here we are again. But that is the case of the collar bomb case or the pizza bomber case, depending on which which way you look at it. Oh, and Marjorie passed away uh, in 2017 um, in hospital from breast cancer. Mixed emotions about that. Mm, yeah, yeah my... it's not a nice way to go, but then what is... Yeah, no, my um, normal response about breast cancer is that it's terrible, but for Marjorie... Of course. <laughs> Do you really think Marjorie was the mastermind or do you think Bill could have had a lot more of the thing? Like he's sitting there going, I'm the smartest man in the room. I've, you know, I've got a degree in blah, blah, and I've done all these things. Basically he saying I built the bomb. But what motivation yes, has he she, got for masterminding Yes, she killed it? other people. Well, she might have said I need some money. Well, he was definitely in on it. I mean, who who goes and... She's the puppeteer. Sticks an ex-boyfriend in the freezer. Oh, really? I mean, you really think people like that are so ma- easily manipulated? I mean, Hun- he was a, he was a competitor. No, I'm no, not saying he, he didn't his know personality and why wanting to she be was doing smarter that. than everyone. No, nah, he was he was an equal in my opinion. Yeah, from from the story was. you've just told, I feel he was. So Marjorie Marjorie wants it's, Ken to kill her father, and Ken's. Price mm-hmm. is two hundred and fifty thousand, and you reckon Bill masterminded that? Come and on. her boyfriend says, "No worries, we'll find a way to come up with that." Nah. So she's she's killed two of her previous lovers. You just at love least. thinking it's always the evil woman. You, you, well, you've got a thing about no, the nasty. Well, hang on. Let, let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. So she shot Robert Thomas six times. Her no next husband she died of a brain people. hemorrhage. Yeah. She then kills mm-hmm. James Roden because he threatens to dob her in. Yeah, the then she, she finds shoot her dad? Ken I mean, literally and she's says, Ken, can you kill my father? Ken says 250000 Miraculously, there's a... He says, hold my pro- beer. There's a plan to rob a bank for 250000 She's the yes, bad that's right. one. He says, hold my beer. I'll hold my beer. I'll get you two fifty. <laughs> But that's only one little part of it. She's she's the evil one. Who's Bill killed? Well, then well, I think you're agreeing Brian that Brian she's Wells. the evil one. No, I'm saying he's as bad. For what reason? Because he built that bloody bomb. And the bomb he was set, going to go off. That's and he what knew it was going to go point. off. Yeah. He killed Brian Wells. I don't, I don't think, I think Bill knew that he was only going to kill one person with that. With that bomb, that even he if that were the case, why did he have he to kill still him? Killed him? Why did yeah. he have to kill him? Because they didn't get the money. Yeah, yeah. I don't. Under- that's what I really don't understand. And I right? don't really understand because the beeping started once he'd cleared the bank and everything. Right? It sounds like Marjorie and Ken were watching. Maybe she set it off remotely. Yeah. In I didn't go really into a lot of detail did. here, but they talk in the documentary about the the scavenger hunt. And this idea of, you know, you go here to get this clue. So in the seven years, you know, certainly in the first year or so, they were able to ascertain that by doing what was asked, you couldn't actually physically do it within the time that would be required anyway. It was always going to go off. Oh. It wasn't actually physically possible what to do the What was the point? Get... Just so a what red was the point, right? That's, Just I don't... To, to make it look like he wasn't involved, but you were going to kill him anyway. 
and there so were who, where was matter? the money going to go? I know. I don't. So I actually we, don't understand. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Right. Just, yeah. You go through all of that. You get your. You get 250 nine, or nine, nine grand, grand, grand and you get blown up five seconds later anyway. Yeah. It's extraordinary, isn't it? It's weird. That's what it is. And they're, well, they were and they're also mad. weirdo. They were weirdo. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I shouldn't say that. They had mental health issues. <laughs> oh, it, it's just that whole mental health issues thing, right? They're just like a – no, they're just like a – Cover all. Look, to make people have mental people health innocent. issues, but they don't go around, yeah, setting bombs and doing shit, right? Yeah, it doesn't. It, your mental health may not be your fault, but it is your responsibility. It's not okay to go around blowing poor Brian Wells or other people up. I found that quote that Marjorie made about her bipolar, and mm. she said, "If there was anything for a panacea for me, don't you think I would take it?" She once said of her mental illness. You have to remember, and I'm not just bragging about it, but it have, but it has been linked to genius. Lincoln, Churchill, Teddy Roosevelt, Van Gogh, Beethoven, Hemingway, some of the greatest artists and writers who ever lived were bipolar. Yeah. So she and a whole she bunch of it. people who were not <laughs> brilliant were also bipolar. Your point, lady? It's like saying I'm in the top 50% of intellects along with <laughs> brilliant people and not so brilliant people, like stupid argument. You know, me and Stephen Hawking, we, we have both have over 100 IQ. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, to sentencing. So I just, from my perspective, I'll do a sentence, why not? Not so much for Marjorie, but for all of the other players. So while you were telling the story, I had a little look at what was in Marjorie's house yes. when she was hoarding. Pardon me. And there was a reference to cheese? Yes. A lot of, a, a lot government of cheese. Government issue cheese. I don't know, government issue cheese. There were some government some, issue items. Yeah. There it seemed to be some kind of cheese shortage or something going on at she the time. She was stockpiling something, yeah. And she was stockpiling cheese, but it wasn't refrigerated. Oh. And there was a whole bunch of other repulsive things that, like, they said it was like a supermarket, only a lot of the fresh produce was not refrigerated. So I'm going to take all of that and go, we'll go down to Trial by Wine World and we'll go to Peasant World and we will go into the pigsty, but we won't have pigs in there. I'm going to put all of the players of this tawdry. Very bad. <laughs> this tawdry. And we have the eerie players. It's like very, a, the eerie players. players. <laughs> this very ill-conceived plot and yeah. everything that happened here. Yeah. Pop them in the pigsty where they can't get out. And all they have to eat and sustain themselves is Marjorie's hoard of government-issued cheese and other horrendous things that she kept. For Marjorie and Bill, I I do think he's he's, whether she's the mastermind and he's just complicit, he still made a device that murdered someone, so he's still guilty. So I think all I can do There was signage. There were little signs, little stickers and that on the bomb, like beautifully done, like it was... Oh, sick. It was done with care and consideration and that idea of, you know, who was in control. Well, I'm going to strap a collar bomb to both of them. Oh, oh that's what I was going to do. Me too. Oh, okay, well, I won't. Um, no, let's well, actually, no, what I wasn't was necessarily going to do that. I wanted the tables <laughs> yeah. to be turned. Yeah. Because what the I want. The fear. Yeah. The moment what I want, when he realised it was going to go off and the terror that that man must have felt. Yeah. I, but I want it to be done based on them feeling power and this sort of superior intellect where they think that they're better and smarter and, you know, they're just going to use someone like Brian Wells. I want something to happen whereby everything's going as planned and then their own, you know, grandiose views of themselves, something it tricks them up somehow 
Mm. And then they're the ones who are the fools, you know what I mean? They've been caught out. So all of a sudden they've gone from being this to being exposed as being not very bright and something happening where they've exposed themselves and they're the ones who will pay the penalty, not, mm. you know, some in, not, I'm not saying Brian's innocent because I don't know that he's entirely, well, he certainly well, didn't deserve it. He, he didn't know. He didn't know. Absolutely not. No, not at all. Not at all. I think that's absolutely true. But I would love for the tables to be turned. I don't know how a better way to say it, but I just think that for those yeah. pair who clearly would have just used anyone along the way, I reckon, thinking that they were more superior. Horrendous. And, yeah. Yeah. Let them let it end up around, I don't know, accidentally end up with the pair of them stuck holding the baby and the baby being the bomb. And then not only were they there was some kind of public kind of um, embarrassment that came with that, that they they mucked up, that they weren't as clever as they thought they were and that everybody wasn't just a pawn in their sort of plot or plan to extract money from a dad. Maybe it's like the horrendous and awful experience of Brian Wells in that it's all filmed. Yes. And it's all televised. Oh. So everyone can see that they have got trapped, if you like, in their own machinations yep. and you know fallen over it maybe maybe they're doing the scavenger hunt and there's some <laughs> trip wires or something and they're not as smart as they thought they were and they're caught in this situation and not necessarily I think to your point not even blown up or anything no. like particularly violent happening to them just more that everyone knows that they're not as clever as they thought they were. Maybe it could be as simple as when the people get the scavenger hunt, which is so, you know, convoluted, intricate and all this amazing writing and this, you know, clever words when I was, that someone just goes, nah, I'm not doing that. That's shit. I'm not doing that. You just take it back. It's on you. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like because they thought it was, or I, just, I think that was probably Bill, you know, it all being so masterminded. I think yeah. that would be a great way to go, what? No one's got time for that shit. No. Ain't nobody got time for that. For that? I'm not, I'm not going on some wild goose chase with the bloody things. No, Relax you do sake. that. Do yeah. your own work. Yeah. Yeah. Clarky? I'm collar bombing both Bill and Marjorie as well. I want them to go to the <laughs> um, Genius Olympics. And so Ooh. they're in a big, you know, like MCG type stadium. And Arena, they're going yeah. to participate in the hurdles and neither of them are very good at hurdles. So every time they go to jump <laughs> the hurdles, they fall over and everyone in the stadium mm -hmm. starts laughing at them. But the, the problem is for both of them that they have to keep going because if they don't get around the stadium in time, their collar bombs are going to blow up. Now, the <gasps> collar bombs oh. <gasps> aren't really going to blow up, but they're going to be serious. panicked the whole way around think thinking I've got yeah. to get through this, but they're not going to want to keep going because everyone's laughing at them. So they're just going to get that mm. absolute humiliation of doing the full lap Catch of the hurdles 22. whilst being terrified that if they don't do it quickly enough, their bombs will go off. I think that's my plan I like for both it. of them. I think, I think a good one. it's a physical yet psychological nut punch. I like it. I think it's, I think it's important that we've used their inventions, we've used their... We've <laughs> incorporated their yeah. thinking. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Mm. It's like, you know, credit to you guys. Let's see what we can do with it for you. God, yes. but there were so many other people, so I'm happy <laughs> oh. for them to eat rotten cheese. Oh, my God. Oh, God. Oh, yeah, God. everyone else can just, yeah, cast of thousands. All right, well, Swanee, that was complicated. You were quite Sorry, correct it was very complicated. to give us the warning at the, at the front. But 
a good story nonetheless. I've never heard of it. Never heard no. of Lake Erie either, but apologies to oh. everyone in America. <laughs> um, but well done. Good story. And I'm still trying to work out who was who. But <laughs> as we say every week, miss you already and Merry Christmas. No, no, oh, yeah, Merry Christmas, guys. Ciao, ciao. Yeah. Yes, Merry Christmas. Right, ciao, ciao. Thanks for listening to Trial by Wine. You can contact us at trialbywine at gmail.com. Please rate, review and subscribe to Trial by Wine on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to support us, you can become a patron at www.patreon.com, Trial by Wine. Or visit our website, www.trialbywine.com to donate to us. Your support will help us cover many more cases and apply wacky sentences. We really appreciate you listening and hope you tell everyone about us. Our cover art is by John Christo and music is by Beauchamp from pixabay.com.